please keep your seats during the flight and no dancing in the aisles. Now, are we all feeling fine? everyone, and welcome to the Hoover and Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin is me. And tonight we're going back to season 24, the third story, Delta and the Bannerman. We're going back in time here, back in time to the 50s, but man, I just, I'm just getting 80s vibes. This whole yeah, thing. so this is with Sylvester McCoy, the seventh doctor. Yeah, he was still getting his footing in this season, and to be fair, I, at the time, felt like, why isn't Colin Baker here? Um, they had left, they had kind of just let go of Colin Baker, and, and Sylvester wasn't really kind of gelling with the general audience. He, he had some great, make he, everything better. I mean, he had some great lines in there, like, like that, you know, whole speech to, you know, to the leader of the Bannerman or whatever, where he was taking the hostages away. Um, but it was just delivered very poorly. And then, of course, how that scene played out made no sense. Like, <laughs> oh, they all, you know, cocked guns at us, and then they're just like, let them go. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he goes, oh, I came here under a white flag, and I'll be taking my hostages. And, um, and you know, before the leader even said anything, the other guy's untying them, and they're off on their way. Yeah. You ended a cliffhanger on that episode thinking they're all about to be shot, and after he says, I think I went too far, but then they just turn around and they get into their car. It, and it goes against like, Gavrock's character, because Gavrock, in this very silly, very entertaining, very ridiculous episode, totally nonsense, is the most serious character you could have in a Doctor Who episode. He is literally hell-bent on just killing people and exterminating a whole race of people. Yeah, he's, a, he's, pretty, he's pretty committed to genocide. He yes. would make a good Dalek. He would, but he's too serious in a very silly story, and it's too weird for him to just let go of the Doctor, and I agree, that's one of the worst cliffhangers in Doctor Who's history, especially with regards to the resolution. Well, yeah, but there were also, like, a lot of things in this episode that made no sense. Like, so there's this guy from the 50s who, like, meets this alien and is like, yes, I will give up my life and my identity and my species for you. Anyway. And, and yeah, like, just, like, just totally, really like, in the what? concept of love at first sight, you know, going here. Yeah, and I agree that in the 1950s it's bubblegum, it's very, it's very um, happy-go-lucky, everybody has that romantic vibe in it. It, it it's that positive vibe for love at first sight that that was something that a lot of the songs spoke to during that time but in reality whoever does that whoa nobody yeah and uh, honestly the whole like, every you know love component of the story like we had a love triangle here 
You know, there was uh, there was Rachel or you know, call Ray. Ray. Yeah. Um, as well as Billy, and you have the Shimmerian Queen. Shimmerian Queen. Delta. Yeah. yeah and, Delta. You know, what it seems like a great character. You know, and Ray is really continuously stifled throughout the episode when she's pining for this guy who you know doesn't seem to care about her at all. Until the end, where he's like, "Well, I'm leaving, so you can have my motorcycle." Like that's the most positive regard we see <laughs> towards her from him. Well, it's the most sort of positive regard we see him give any human. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I also have to but say, I, oh, go ahead. Well, he steals from the ones he loves as well. Yeah. I think Billy was not really well acted either because on top of all the nonsense of him just going off with Delta, he's very kind of like, he doesn't seem to be into her. There's very little chemistry between Delta and Billy. I thought both of them were not great. I mean, Billy does try and show chemistry, but it turns out more creepy than it does actual Yeah, I mean, I don't don't think she did a great job either. Well, she was a Shimmeron queen, so she's alien. So I give her an, a, a little bit of a, a, a okay there because it makes sense that she's not quite unsure of so what's going on. She's she's obviously running away from a killer. So the last thing she's going to be thinking of is, oh, okay, let me just lo- fall in love. Okay, so like, yeah. what, what was the deal? Like, so, so, so was she like? Like, was that green dude at the beginning that looked like one of those plastic soldiers? That's a male. That's your species, yeah. That's that's the male, right. And then, like, so the baby comes out, and it looks a lot like him. And then, like, very quickly just looks like this baby with very poorly done face makeup in just, like, one of those little, like, wrapping cocoon, like, onesies. And and then then it just, like, grew into, like, a child, and it was just, like, slightly green makeup, and it was just, like... Why did you start it off looking Well, it was like explained. It was explained, but it wasn't directly explained. It was done through a, a bee analogy. They talked about the bees, you know, having royal jelly and being able to change into the royal member of their species. Just like the green things become white, you know. When I agree. I have to agree with Shelby. The onesie was absolutely horrible. and It, and it was that, just so poorly oh, done. Explained it. Yeah, that part was really... Poorly done, but then again, you've got a child there that you have to make sure that they're not scared. So well, you can't well, do too well much yeah, to but them. what you, they could have done is they could have taken just that puppet or whatever was there, like hatched from the egg, and had her hold that in her arms as the baby, and then once it grew into the like the toddler, you know, have that be the transformation. Like yeah. that would have worked. <laughs> It would have worked, but it would have been a little bit less of the idea that this is something that grows really fast into Yeah, but, like, you could show that that growth, you know, with young children. It didn't have to be a baby baby. Yeah, you didn't didn't need the onesie, I don't think. Yeah. But I I do, I, I think I know what they were trying to go for. They were trying to go for a transition from green blob to humanoid, but the middle... Part of it should have probably been a puppet or something. They could have yeah. done something a lot better. I mean, obviously, they already spent all the money on the on the first baby, so that probably is why they didn't do it. I mean, Doctor Who had no budget at that point, so they were using shoestring and glue to actually Taking put the things together. from the 60s. I take, yeah, they had this, I, as far as I know, they had the same budget in the 1980s as they did in the 1960s. So they had no, it was no different. The only thing they had then was computers, which made some of the effects, like the uh, the other planet that was in the background at the very beginning, that actually looked pretty decent. They had some explosions. 
They had some explosion. Yeah, they had a very big explosion Sparkly for for the big bus. Yeah. Yeah. And for the the tent actually exploded more than the bus did, which was a little bit weird for me. But I well, guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that whole thing was like okay. So here are like two guys who are just like first of all, just like as stereotypical American as, as you could as you could do. Looking like, for a satellite that supposedly falls to whales. Well, and also it's like why those guys? Because they are like, oh, I've never seen a satellite before. I don't know. That spaceship might be one. <laughs> I think it's more because they were just Yankees. there. They just happened to be there at the time, so they just ha- so they were lucky. It's because it was originally the satellite was going to fall somewhere else. They just were there, I guess, on a reconnaissance mission for some other reason, and they get called into it because of that. But that was never explained. It didn't make any sense to the oh, general. Why audience. they were there? Yeah, yeah, it made no sense. Whatever they were doing, they were idiots, and of course, well, they portrayed the Americans as idiots, which didn't gel well with American right. audience. Although, what I did like about that segment was just like that it kind of brought home like the very beginning of this story. The doctor like saves a ton of people on Earth without even realizing it, and like just like by guiding the bus accidentally into that satellite that was going to crash. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and um, but that was like the biggest. Uh, save of the of the whole story was right there at the beginning, kind of brushed aside. I mean, we don't know the future unless you know we travel in our TARDIS to get there. But you know, we could have saved a whole species. You know, this yeah, that's to, that's a good maybe point. Maybe not the amount of lives, but a whole lineage. What did you all think of Burton, the head of Shangri La? I he was Burton. fun. Yeah, I thought he was a good character. He seemed. He's he, one of those. He had some integrity. I think he was quickly convinced. You know, after he he got some convincing. Did we get him to see the target? Yeah, he, he yeah he saw the. Inside he definitely of the had a silly. We we didn't see him go into the TARDIS, but right. we, we, we saw talked, him walking we talked, into. Yeah, we talked. He talked about it. But I think the uh, problem with him is that he, the it was overdone. It was a little bit of an overacting and certainly rather ridiculous role. I had no problem with it. I thought he was so light. I loved him. I too. thought he, he was, was one so of hard. the better actors in this episode. Oh, definitely. And I think the other guy, Garonry... He Gar- was an old military guy to me. Yeah. Garonry, which is the beekeeper, um, I think... I liked him. He was fun. A Favorite lot of character. a lot of people uh, in the Doctor Who audience typically think that he's another Time Lord for some reason. I guess it's because eh. of his demeanor. I think he was just a wise, kindly old man who knew a lot about bees and, you know, wanted to help everyone I think out. he was just wise in general, too. Yeah. I think he had a lot of good sayings yeah. and good one-liners. He just seemed to, like, know a lot of things already. It, it, honestly, a lot of the characters kind of did. Like, it seemed like there were all these kind of connection points that we missed. Like, there weren't a lot of scenes that didn't make me go, hmm, what, what just happened here? <laughs> um, yeah, there, I mean... Also, I would have to say the Bannermen are pretty pathetic as, yeah. as far as soldiers. They lose the Shimron Queen. They can't find her. And then they finally have to rely on some secret agent that's on Earth somehow because he's on the bus, just happenstance, who just knows that for some reason these B- Bannermen uh, somewhere else in the universe are looking for a Shimron Queen 
However, he knows that whoever knows, however who knows. Yeah, how do any of these people know anything? I know, it just doesn't make any sense. But he calls them up and says, hey, I just found the queen for you. Okay, so let's kill you for telling us the exact location of the queen, because oh, that they, makes sense. I mean, they did. Like, the whole time they were just like... You know, killing people and doing other things that it was just like disadvantageous to them. People go that they were going to kill, uh, letting the doctor go, letting yeah. all their hostages. Yeah, go. Letting, it, there's like there's no bait. rhyme or we'll reason. We use these guys to for bait to catch the doctors. Like, oh well, he has a white flag. We can't do anything now. The but. only the only thing I could come up with is the doctor does have a little bit of a telepathic ability that he can help, kind of like the master. He can control other people's minds. Maybe Gavrock was so stupid that he was actually controlled by the doctor saying, I'm leaving. I'm taking this yeah. white banner flag. Very charitable interpretation. Yeah, that, that, I that's, agree. A, that's way too charitable for this one. And yeah. I agree. That's the only thing I could come up with with an explanation, which is terrible explanation. <laughs> so, any rate, there are two actors in this that are pretty well known um, in the sci-fi universe, or at least in the geek Universe and Don Henderson, who plays Gavrock, he was definitely in Star Wars: A New Hope. He was in the conference room. He actually was one of Vader's allies, and Vader actually didn't do anything to him. He's also uh, another British uh, favorite in, in Red Dwarf. He was a, a rogue simulant. Yes, he was, and uh, it was fun that you pointed that out to me because I didn't actually remember that until you said that. Um, also, uh, the. Um, the other actor who was in something else was Stubby K, who was the American Wisemuller. He was in, of course, who's um, who framed Roger Rabbit. Um, he gets he's he's the one that's in the bar looking at Jessica Rabbit, going, "Oh wow!" And she comes over with her little her little, or she takes his handkerchief out and then rubs his head with it. Um, and I that was actually at the time a really cool special effect. But anyway. Getting back to Doctor Who, um, I think that this story is definitely one of those that is panned by a, by a vast majority of people. Has some sort of a reputation? It has a very severe reputation. Do I think that it's as bad as its reputation? Well, we'll find out when we get to the ratings. Indeed, we will. Are we there? Yeah, are we there? I, I'm sure. Yeah, we can go for the ratings. Sure. Yeah, yeah I'll go. Um, this okay. is an interesting story. Um, I, it definitely held some attention. I felt like I, it really needed to because there was so many wait what moments um, mm-hmm. that had that was strong or was you know were strong just throughout it. But it's it's strange in that I feel like it's a story that needed more time, but also could have worked out with less time. Like, somehow it feels like it was, you know, two episodes worth of plot in a three-episode story, but if it may, if they maybe went up to, you know, more episodes than that, they could have fleshed out all these different elements that just seem like they're hitting together without, you know, much going on. I feel like they had almost a whole episode of just driving back and forth <laughs> on long roads. And there was even a, a big segment where the, the doctor and Ray drive out to this one place, they look around for a bit, they're like, nope, not here, let's try somewhere else. They drive to another area, they look around like, nope, it's like, well, is there okay. another place that we could try? Nope, well, one more, we could drive all the way over here. And you see them driving back and forth, and there's a lot of driving on roads here. 
<laughs> and I think I feel like it's a lot just to show off Billy's motorcycle. <laughs> I think also it's to replace the long, endless corridor running through scenes that they used to do. I, I think Colin's on to something. Do, do they get sponsored by the motorcycle company? <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to show the outdoor scenery. They wanted to probably show that they were actually going fast on a motorcycle, which they really didn't look very fast. No, I mean, the, the doctor's legs, just where they, they couldn't be positioned or how they were, I don't think they could never drive fast safely <laughs> there. But, uh, yeah, very jarring, but, you know, there were some fun elements. Honestly, the, the beekeeper alone got a lot of points, you know, for me in this episode. Um, <laughs> I thought he was a magical, mystical character, like, a, you know, like he could be a doctor a Time Lord, or, you know, like a, a Tom Bombadil sort of a character, if you will. <laughs> um, but, you know, for that being said, I don't think this lives up to some notoriety of the worst episode of all time. I'm coming off the heels of rating a horrible episode. <laughs> and for me, I think this one, I, I could give a, a four or five. I'll, I'll give it a four and a half. Okay. Yeah, I mean, props to this episode for at least being entertaining. Um, but yeah, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. It was yeah. So I thought that I thought the beekeeper was good. I thought the connection between the bees and the aliens was interesting. And uh, but that was like <laughs> about it. I mean, it just like oh yeah, there was at one point in. Colin, I hope you don't mind me calling you out. Colin hadn't seen uh, stuff from this era before, and he, like, saw Mel at one point, like, halfway through the first episode and was like, so is that a companion? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she did kind of arrive in the TARDIS with the Doctor. Yeah, but, but, like, but like yeah, she was uh, she was barely yeah, in it. Sure. More than usual. It was a big, was barely big in swirl it. at the beginning to get to Shangri-La. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit, quick. yeah. It, it was very disjointed. And then the other thing, which I'm sure that, you know, Michael's going to talk more about this in his reading, but, like, Michael tells me that uh, this Ray girl was, like, supposedly people were all like, oh, she should be other companion. She could have replaced Ace. And I'm so glad that didn't happen. I mean, I love that Ace was just, you know, written as, like, just a person, not just, like, an accessory. And I felt like Ray was another accessory female. Well, in this story, Hill. yes. Um for sure, but I, but, but I the did. Beginning, she was like strong. She had like the wrenches. Like she knew. Where I, yeah, I liked that she always had bike, tools. But. That was cool. The fact that the you know her human tools were able to unlock that uh, alien system didn't really make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> but you know, um, <laughs> I am going to give this episode, I think, a three out of ten. <laughs> well, Delta the Bannerman. Oh, when I first saw this, I was actually kind of embarrassed. I was embarrassed to show it to anybody else because it wasn't the Doctor Who I knew growing up. But you were so excited to show it to us tonight. I was not that excited <laughs> to show it to you. I was just trying to give you a positive spin on something that I knew was anything but positive. But... You did point out some decent things. It is entertaining. There is an entertainment value. Yes. I think some of the characters you just kind of... You, you have to like. Um, the Shangri-La um, person... Uh, the bus guy. driver. 
The bus driver Murray, yes, for sure. Murray was a good character and beekeeper. beekeeper. And that was a that was a massive uh, waste of all those people. Why did Gavrok have to just destroy the whole bus of people? Um, that seemed wasteful and and pointless. Um, although why they didn't get off as soon as they found out that the Gavrok was coming, they just kind of sat there and talked to Mel and said uh, Murray did made no sense. There was no... A lot of times I felt like throughout this story, they were saying all these things, oh my God, we've got to hurry. And yet they were going as slow as they possibly can. No yet, sense of urgency. Yet, at the same time, you only have three episodes to get Billy to fall in love with the main, the main Shimmeron queen, Delta, and... There's not enough time for them to do that. There's not enough. There's not enough like exploration as to what their characters actually were able to do in the time that they had. The scenes were like what they what they tried to do is they tried to make the pacing a lot faster because they were trying to go for something a little bit more modern. They were trying to go for something a little bit more exciting. I understand that, and that makes sense, and and that helped the entertainment aspect of it. It didn't help the plot line of it though because. We didn't really have enough um, to go on with with this relationship actually forming. Um, I also will have to say that I really didn't care for the Doctor or Mel's performances in this. Mel actually did get something to do in this, which was better than some of her other stories. And this is not on Bonnie Langford. Bonnie Langford, who plays Mel, she actually did a pretty decent job, other than the screaming part of it that nobody likes at all. Mel as a character was supposed to be a very strong character. She was supposed to be a pro- uh, computer programmer who was very intelligent. She ends up helping Davros in the audio uh, series create a whole other race of characters. Mm. I won't say who or what, Doesn't but you'll find... Doesn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> but, you, but, it, but that's the way it goes. But she is smart. She, is, she actually has intelligence. Mel depicted in most of these... in most of her stories doesn't have much going for her other than that she's just there. In this case, she actually does have some correspondence with Delta. And she does and she does try and help Delta, which is kind of kind of nice seeing a companion trying to stick up for someone that the doctor is not. Because uh, the doctor's just not there at this point. Um, but that that's kind of a nice thing. And that's kind of the beginning of what companions would do towards the future. And especially New Who, you'd have the, comp- the companion being more integral to the story or being more doctor-like, and, like Clara. Uh, but but the problem is that Mel didn't have enough of that in this story. She only had the one scene where she was in bed, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> with with Delta, and then she goes to sleep, and that's the end of that. So Mel really is just an accessory. And then she's just sitting in the motorcycle through the rest of the story, bobbing around, going, oh my god, why are you going so crazy through all these hills? Even though they're really not going that fast. Uh, with all that said, I know that's a lot to take in. This story has, has very little going for it in terms of plot. It's just a basic, I want to exterminate you, Dalek kind of story, without the Daleks. Very disappointing. Um, and the Bannermen are so useless, it's like, why even have them as characters if they have no intrigue or no, you have no interest in them whatsoever? Gavrok is completely opposite the rest of the story, 
I'm going to have to give this a 2 out of 10. This story did follow Paradise Towers, which was dark, foreboding, and also absolutely ridiculous with regards to the acting ability. At least you have some a semblance of character in this particular story that makes it a little bit better than that story. I won't say that there's much better. All and right. There you go. <laughs> well, good night, everyone. Well, there it is, folks. Tell us what uh, you think. You can hit us at uh, the Whovian Review at uh, gmail.com. And you can follow us on Facebook. And, and you can find this podcast where you're listening to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.